Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and good to have you along here for the ride today. Super Tuesday edition of the program. And this hour, we're going to take a look. Next hour, we're going to actually take a look at the uh, FBI whistleblower hearings, which are tons of fun to look at, especially when you have uh, freshman congressmen and women who they kind of put out on the firing line to ask all the hard questions and get all the notoriety. The Republicans have a, a dynamo who's going to be joining us uh, in hour number two, or like we're going to hear some audio from her. First though, this hour, I want to talk about the vote of the Christian. The fact that there are so many Christians, millions of us in the United States, who are registered to vote and do vote, and millions others who are registered to vote and don't vote. And uh, this is my public service announcement to make sure that you are registered to vote. I believe it, you know, when we talk about uh, stewarding uh, the things, you know, Jesus said, give the thing to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And oftentimes we in the body of Christ think that what that means is that we're supposed to pay our taxes to the government, but then also pay our tithe to the church. I mean, it kind of starts in, with money. But when you get right down to it, there are certain things that as citizens of heaven, but residents of earth, if we are citizens in these, I mean, we have legal citizenship uh, standing in wherever it is we live, then we should be participating in government. And one of the first things that we should, it doesn't mean necessarily that every Christian has to run for office, though it is nice to see more and more Christians actually doing so. If you're not called to that, you know, don't run. But one thing we can all do is register to vote and to vote our values. 25 million Christians in the last election sat out, either didn't register, even though they were eligible to do so, or didn't vote. And, you know, there are so many people who make such a big deal. It's a lot of uh, the kind of Christian progressive side of the equation now who are like in the never Trump camp. You can't vote for Donald Trump. Okay, well, what's your solution? Well, I don't know, but you can't vote for Donald Trump. Okay, so basically you're telling me now you can't vote. Well, now that, I believe, is an unbiblical position. There's got to be someone you could vote. I know a lot of Christians in 2016 voted for Evan McMullen. He turned out to be a Mormon, and I don't know if he's even Republican anymore, but that made their conscience feel better that he wasn't Donald Trump. But it's interesting when you look at Christians and values and the things that we support versus the things that we don't support, you have to ask the question, how do you know what a Christian looks like in the modern culture? And how do you know how you're supposed to act? How do you know if you're growing in maturity? We're going to take a look at all of these different angles, um, especially one that's, I think, going to hit a lot of our listeners right between the eyes. And I'm not saying that there's anything right or wrong with the position. We're just going to take a look at it. First, I want to give you an update on a story that uh, is kind of one of those, what do Christians look like in the public uh, arena? Well, you know, if you are a young person who grows up in a Christian home and you love the Lord, you've been baptized into faith and fellowship, and you're growing stronger in your faith and growing mature every day, it doesn't mean you aren't going to engage in some kind of childish activity. And uh, you probably heard the story that happened last year is on President's Day weekend in the Inland Empire, where um, three boys uh, wound up, uh, well, there were six total, who were uh, playing a, a simple childhood game that many of us have played before, called Ding Dong Ditch. You ever played that? Ding Dong Ditch. Uh, that's when you pull up in front of somebody's house, you run to the door, you ring the doorbell, and then race out to your car and drive away before the person can answer the door. And so they, you know, whatever they were doing, it's a bit of an inconvenience. You're on the couch watching TV or doing whatever, and you come to the door and, hey, who was that? Now, I realize there is an, a, a more, uh, what, 
more elevated form of this game that involves a bag, uh, some dog poo, and a match. But I, I won't get into that. If you've ever done that, you are really hardcore, right? Okay. Anyway, uh, set the Wayback Machine to January 19th, 2020. It was actually a couple of years ago. And there were six teenagers who were having a boys' night out. Uh, well, boys' night in, boys' night out. Wow. Um, these were six kids. It was uh, Martin Luther King weekend. They had Monday off. It was a Sunday night. They were just kind of messing around. And apparently, one of the a couple of 16-year-olds and a couple of their brothers, younger brothers, were all there. And the boys were hanging out, and one of the kids dared one of the other kids to jump into the pool at the home where they were, one of the boys' home. And the pool was not heated because it was January, and it was going to be super cold. They said, it's either that or we're going to play Ding Dong Ditch, and you have to be the one who rings the doorbell. And so they opted for Ding Dong Ditch, so six of these kids piled into a Toyota Prius. There were four 16-year-old boys and a couple of their 13-year-old younger brothers. And they basically, you know, got, it was either you jump in the pool or play ding dong. And so uh, they ding dong ditch. They pulled into a neighborhood um, in Temescal Valley. And they pulled up to the home of a man by the name of Anurag Chandra. Now, when you play ding dong ditch, you don't know what kind of day the person you are ding donging and then ditching has had. And Mr. Chandra just wasn't really feeling it. They boy ran up, hit the doorbell, they got in the car, and they started to speed away. Well, Mr. Schoenbrock did not really appreciate the fact that they did this, and so he got in his car and went after them. And this is where it gets crazy. He found the Prius that they had jumped into, pulled in behind them, and then literally, according to the police report, slammed into the back of the car, hit them with such force that they crashed into a tree. There's an article here from CBS News that we're posting at thebottomlineshow.com that shows what the car looked like. And I mean, this it was it's the Prius that isn't kind of like the long bean-shaped one. It's the Prius that looks a little bit more like a four-door sedan. Okay. And there were six teenagers in this car. And when Mr. Chandra crashed into them, he knocked them into a big old tree that was near some kind of upright and support or whatever, the back end of the car is just completely munched and destroyed. As it turned out, three of the boys wound up losing their lives in the crash. Uh, Daniel Hawkins of Corona, Drake Ruiz of Corona, and Jacob Iviscu of Riverside were the three boys who lost their lives in the crash. The driver, Sergio Campsuano, actually was 18, um, he and the 13-year-old boys... Uh, Joshua Hawkins, uh, Daniel's brother, and Joshua Ivascu, Jacob's brother, survived the crash, and they testified in the trial. Um, Mr. Chandra was brought up on multiple counts um, of, you know, murder and reckless driving, and it's just, it, it was a mess. And last week, he was convicted of killing all three of those boys. Now, what's interesting about this case is that uh, Mr. Chandra testified that he had been drinking earlier in the day. He said, he t when he first gave his testimony, he testified at the trial that when the boy rang the doorbell, 
he uh, he went to the door and before he ran away, the boy, according to Mr. Chandra, dropped his pants and exposed his buttocks. Now, it's his word against the young boy's word and the boy didn't survive the crash. Chandra then testified that he also follow, followed them because he feared for his family's safety. Okay. Uh, he was, using his words, extremely, extremely mad because of the prank he wanted to express his anger. Later, he then testified that he had drunk 12 beers in the hours leading up to the crash. He then also said, and this is something that is admissible in a court of law, but it wasn't considered by the jury, apparently, in their verdict. He said he did not plan to crash into the Prius. But he did crash into the Prius. He knocked them into a tree. He then said he did not stop after rear-ending the car because, in his words, he didn't think anybody had been hurt. Now, under cross-examination, the forensics on this, how fast the car was going, how hard the Prius was hit based on the body weight of the boys and where they were positioned in the car. I mean, there are all sorts of ways that they can figure out who caused the accident and they can pretty much figure out how fast the car was going at that time. Uh, examiners determined that Mr. Chandra, with 12 beers in his gut and a bit of an anger problem, hit the car at 99 miles per hour before he drove away. When they presented the forensic evidence to him under oath and in trial, he did, in fact, admit to the fact that he agreed with that assessment that, yeah, I was probably driving that fast. Now, what makes this interesting is when he said, I was angry and I was fearing for my family's safety. Um, this is a guy who also, earlier that month, it, it was in 2022, was already facing criminal charges in connection to what? An alleged domestic violence account. account. So that might have been weighing heavily on his mind as well. Uh, full disclosure here, and I shared this the first time we talked about this actual story, uh, Daniel Hawkins of Corona is the son of Craig Hawkins. Craig Hawkins, if you are a KBRT listener and remember the Christian Research Institute when Dr. Walter Martin was with us, uh, Craig used to host a program here on KBRT about apologetics. He's still hosting a couple of different broadcasts, one on another radio station here in town, and he's also doing an apologetics uh, program. Uh, he's a gifted scholar, and uh, he's on the His Channel Network, hischannel.com. You can watch him every week. Uh, our thoughts and prayers, of course, to Craig and the Hawkins family uh, on the passing of Daniel and that Joshua had to live through this event. But we'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com because uh, the point I wanted to make with this whole issue is that these boys all grew up in Christian homes. They were all in Christian school. They all had a lot of Christian training and education, and they still acted like 16-year-olds. I don't think that God calls us to give up those parts of our personalities as we grow. We have to understand that while spiritual maturity is happening, this was one of those uh, childish behavior moments when childlike behavior and spiritual maturity was the goal. And unfortunately for these uh, three young men who lost their lives in this car crash, a childish game of ding-dong ditch turned deadly. But this is the world that we're living in, brothers and sisters. And there are a lot of people who are looking at what it means to be a Christian and saying, well, if they were good Christian kids, why were they playing ding-dong ditch? Well, how about because they're 16? <laughs> I mean, that's, 
just what we do. And yet that just kind of underscores the confusion a lot of people have when you become a Christian is what is acceptable? What am I supposed to do as a Christian? How is the world going to look at me? Uh, Pastor and author Aaron Armstrong tackled this challenge recently in book form. He didn't come to faith until he was a young adult. He was in mid to late 20s. And he's really wrestled with the idea of not knowing what the absolute path was for him to follow as a new Christian, a new believer. He wrote a book about it called, I'm a Christian, Now What? A Guide to Your New Life with Christ. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Aaron's going to join me on the other side of this break to talk about that. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Having worked in youth ministry for a number of years before I got into broadcast ministry, I was hit over the head often with the idea that when it comes to uh, professing faith in Christ, most people, quote unquote, would make a decision in their youth. Maybe it was in elementary school, middle school, or high school, certainly before they hit the age of 18. But oftentimes, and especially in today's culture, youth now has expanded to maybe people in their 20s and 30s and possibly even beyond that. And more and more people are coming to faith at later stages in life. So the question is, what happens if you made that decision for Christ, or maybe someone in your family has, maybe you've got an adult child or a grandchild who has, and now they're looking around saying, now what? Well, joining me today here on The Bottom Line is a man who has that experience. Aaron Armstrong is his name, serving as at his local church as a small group leader, a kids ministry teacher, and occasionally teaching on Sunday mornings. Um, he is the author of a brand new book called I'm a Christian, now what? It's a guide to your new life with Christ. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Aaron Armstrong, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you here, especially because I appreciate the fact that you get right into it with this new book and say, hey, look, here's the deal. I came to faith not, you know, having grown up in the church, not, you know, having been baptized at the age of two or, you know, whatever it was. And these are questions that I had, which oftentimes are, might be a little different than the questions a six-year-old might have once they profess faith in Christ. Kind of give us a 60-second overview of how, how yep. you came to faith. Yeah. So um, so I came to faith when I was 25, going on 26. I, um, like you mentioned in the in the intro, I didn't have any um any church experience to to speak of but uh, a friend of mine um who i went to college with invited me to this program at his church called alpha which mm, uh, yeah. for those who aren't familiar um is a uh, a discussion oriented um uh evening uh program where you explore the basics of christianity in a uh in an open dialogue kind of environment um, so basically high carb food, lots of, lots of, lots of conversation, mm-hmm. uh, a good time. So I went to this, I, um, uh, with my then girlfriend, who's now my wife, she, uh, we both went to this and, um, it didn't take, um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, we were like, we, we went in and we were like, okay, cool. So now we know what our friend believes and, and we're going to go on on our merry way. And so, um. And the Lord had other plans, so um, we went through the we went through the program. We went through the program, like I said. Um, in while in the midst of that, we also bought a house and moved into it um, about a month after the program ended. And then, uh, and it happened to be a couple of uh, a couple of blocks down from a Christian bookstore that is now a skateboard shop, and so. Um, <laughs> 
but you know, the Lord had his plans and he wanted me to live two blocks down from a Christian bookstore for that period of time. Love it. Um, and, uh, it was, so it was great. So I was sitting on my couch one day in March of 2005 and, and I was thinking, I was just thinking to myself, you know, I like my friend. I like to make fun of my friend. I'm going to go buy a Bible so that I can intelligently make fun of my friend mm. um, about Christian, about Christian stuff, because, you know, that's, that's what friends do. Of course. And uh, so I, so I go down to the store. I, um, I go in and I, and I ask for a Bible and the, the lady who was there was super kind and super sweet. And I'm sure super confused when she said, well, what kind of Bible are you looking for? You know, we've got lots of different, and I'm just like, I don't know a Bible. And so, cause I didn't know anything about translations. I didn't know about, um, the difference between a study Bible and a devotional Bible and a, you know, standard text Bible, mm-hmm. any of these kinds of things. Um, and so she, she hands me a, a copy of the message, um, and, and sends me on my way. And, um, and so I go home, I start reading it and she'd also encouraged that I, uh, that I, that I read like the book of John and because I'm a little bit contrarian, I think I started with either Mark or Luke. Um, yeah and so um and so i uh i I went into it i started reading and i was just fascinated by who jesus was in um as in what i was reading that he was this person with uh who was so different from uh anything i had seen um referencing him in pop culture or um, the I'd heard about, you know, little references here and there, um, you know, kind of the good teacher, you know, good teacher, good moral person, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah stuff. Um, and instead, what I saw was I saw someone who had true authority, someone who you couldn't not pay attention to. Mm-hmm. You had to and you had to deal with him. Right. And so as I was reading what I found was, um, what I found was that that um, I didn't have the cat the the language category for this, but um, but basically started experiencing spiritual opposition, um, and um, and that all kind of came to a end up was in a lot of different ways, but it all came to head one night where um, because of what we were what i was experiencing what my um and what emily my now wife is also was also experiencing we both realized we had to ask jesus to save us and wow so we did and he did and then the first question that we asked after after we did and everything was was kind of chill was okay so now what Mm, mm -hmm. and uh, and that's where the title of the book came from I love this. Aaron Armstrong is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called I'm a Christian, Now What? A Guide to Your New Life with Christ. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshould.com. Aaron, you said something so heavy, and I want to circle back around to it before we get into, you know, how do you read the Bible and pray when you're a brand new Christian? You know, what? how do you find a church? Those things that many of us who've been in the faith for a long time don't even think about because we've just been doing them. But for somebody, especially someone in their young adult years who didn't have that background, those are key. But I love what you said about the fact that as you were reading, as you were studying, Jesus became so compelling, you could not not deal with him. 
I mean, they, yeah. you had to make a decision. People, I've heard a pastor say, look, if you want the definition of revival, that's what it is. It's not that millions of people are coming to Christ. It's that people are coming to that point. Uh, help us understand, for those jaded guys like me, I'm in my 60s and I grew up in the church. What was it like for you? I mean, you, you talk about it now and there's still kind of a, a passion. There's a spark when you describe that experience. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was one of those things that it was like, um, you know, because uh, because I grew up in a very, you know, swimming in swimming in secularism, swimming in, um, you know, the you know, the postmodern ethos of flattening all religions, all perspectives, all everything. Right. Um, you know, the closest that everything was basically, well, you know, Jesus is equal to every everybody else. And it's just one of the buff <laughs> and Christianity is, you know, one of the options on the buffet table and right. um, and all that kind of stuff. But when you actually read the Bible for yourself, you you see very very quickly that Jesus doesn't give you that option. Um, it's you know it's a little bit you know the the C.S. Lewis uh, uh, lunatic liar Lord um, uh, quote always comes always comes to mind and it's a little bit cliche to use it, but it um, at this point uh, because it has been so overused. But but it really is true that as you as you encounter Christ in the Bible and what he says about himself and the claims that he makes and the actions that he's recorded to have taken, he doesn't allow for being, for being, you know, one option on a, on a buffet table of of spiritual experiences. Mm -hmm. He's just, he's like, either I am or I'm not. And if I'm not, then you should have nothing to do with me. Um, But if I am, you have then you need to take me seriously in the mm. way that I say that I that I am. And mm. so for me, with the experience that I had of, you know, being so hard hearted that I had to, um, you know, that I had to experience, um, you know, real spiritual opposition to be able to be humbled enough to uh, to repent and believe the gospel, um, you know, I, that's, that's what it took for me. And, and I, and I hope no, and, but I love that there are people who don't have that experience mm-hmm. and I'm and super envious of that too, if I'm being real honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's okay. That's totally okay. We appreciate the candor from Aaron Armstrong today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called I'm a Christian, Now What? A Guide to Your New Life in Christ. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about things like uh, sex and marriage and, and, the culture, you know, in terms of art, movies, and TV, and things like that. And also maybe another huge one that uh, a lot of people in the body of Christ don't really take the time to think about is what happens when that new guy shows up at church and has all these disagreements with you about your faith. We're going to get Aaron Armstrong's take on that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues in just a moment. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. 
Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and maybe you're resonating, I hope you are, with some of the things that uh, that was uh, uh, that, <laughs> that happened to you when you became a Christian specifically, how am I supposed to act? What's supposed to happen here? Why does it work so differently for one person and not for another? How is it different for people who become Christians in their youth versus people who become Christians in adulthood? Aaron Armstrong became a Christian during his young adult years, and he wrote a book about his experience called I'm a Christian, Now What? A Guide to Your New Life in Christ. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of the book that we're giving away right now, 800-227-5278. 800 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we do have a copy of the book by Aaron Armstrong. And if you know someone in your world, maybe who just came to faith in Christ, and they're saying, hey, what were the first six months like for you? What were the first three months? What were the first two years like? You know, am I supposed to throw out all the books I used to read? Am I supposed to stop watching television and going to the movies? What am I supposed to do? with my new, new life in Christ. Aaron Armstrong offers some really uh, powerful insights as to what helped him after he became a Christian at the age of 25, didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, and didn't pray the sinner's prayer or get the four spiritual laws, if you know what I mean. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with praying a prayer to ask the Lord into your heart, but I think at the same time, there are a lot of people who think, well, there's a formula, and if I could just get you to come forward in an altar call or something like that, and that's really not part of who God is to any of us. I'm a Christian, now what? A guide to your new life with Christ. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with Aaron Armstrong in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Aaron Armstrong is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Aaron has just published a book that I think is essential for any of us who have either walked with a uh, with the Lord for a while, or maybe you have adult children who grew up in the faith and they wandered away from it, and you began to realize, wow, they did church, but they never really met Christ. And now they're kind of asking questions, kicking the tires a little bit. His brand new book is called I'm a Christian, Now What? A Guide to Your New Life with Christ. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Aaron, during the break, we were talking about, I mean, one of the segments you have in, in the book is talking about, you know, okay, now I'm a Christian. What am I supposed to think about all the movies I watched, all the music I listened to? My wife and I were having this conversation just the other day about uh, a reel came up on one of those social media sites. And it included a backing song that was something from her past, that uh, kind of a rap hip hop song that there's no way we would willingly listen to today. But we listen to it with a new set of ears, that's for sure. But uh, as you've been talking to people about what it's like to say, hey, I'm a a young adult and now I'm a Christian, um, that seems to be a really good connection point for sharing your faith, doesn't it? Talk about that if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the things that... um, 
is really important whenever we're dealing with things like um, engaging with the arts, so music, movies, books, all that kind of stuff, is we, um, we, we want to, what we don't want to do is, is we don't want to do the thing where we just um, immediately, you know, go into the, the, uh, the, the trope of, okay, now that you're a Christian, you've got to throw away all your, you know, all your CDs down, delete all your, delete all your downloaded music mm-hmm. that, that you liked before you were a Christian. Um, when we are, as we are growing as new believers, um, as we're reading the Bible, as we're praying, as we're engaging in Christian community, those three core habits um, or disciplines that really shape everything about who we become um, as as Christians. Um, the the Holy Spirit is working through those things to 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 recalibrate our convictions and to help us to help us naturally see, okay, hey, there's something in this that isn't good for me. And this was a, this was an experience that I had when um, you know a couple months into being to being a Christian was um, you know in my in my teens and twenties um, I really loved to listen to um, you know thematically dark and pretentious and um, and and you know kind of heavy music that um, you know was 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 often exploring darker elements of of life and uh, and philosophy and things like this and um and so i found that actually i had that i i was listening to something one day and i'm like i have to turn this off and i can't i i just can't listen to this right now hmm. and so um and so i so i turned it off and i was like and I, I didn't replace it with a uh, a Christian alternative necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. I just was like, I, I can't listen to this right now. It's not, and I just I knew it wasn't good for me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and 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 in the meantime, what I what I started to do was I started to explore why. Okay, what is it about this that is speaking to me? Where's the right. problem here exactly? And right. and so and and so that was that was an example of how my own, uh, my own conscience was being recalibrated mm-hmm. and in the, the, the time after actually being able to, in some cases, but not every case to actually go back and be able to engage with things that I did before, but just with a different perspective to recognize, right. you know, okay, here's the, you know, here's this this element that I that I can't that I that I can't endorse. I don't agree with, but there's also this this thing here where even if these people who wrote this song and are performing it, um, where they would absolutely deny the reality of of the gospel and the the goodness of God, they're dis- they're revealing their own self deception because what they're what they're singing about and the way that they've they've crafted this music is um you know is, is basically um uh an example of of Romans 120 at work that that what can be known about God is 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 revealed in the things that he's made that mm-hmm. they can't mm-hmm. help but show 
his his beauty, his goodness, his truth, his existence, because they make objectively good art. <laughs> mm. Yes, so. yes. I, I, and I love that objectivity. I'm talking with Aaron Armstrong today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called I'm a Christian, Now What? A Guide to Your New Life with Christ. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Years ago, I worked with uh, Chuck Colson and his prison fellowship ministries. And Chuck was the first one to turn me on to the concept of a biblical worldview and that there was beauty and art. And that was all objective. You know, people that the world says mm-hmm. it's very subjective. You like what you like and you don't like what you don't like. And he said, that's nonsense. I mean, you can... You can see why you can hear why the music is beautiful because it's written the right way. And maybe they approach it in different keys or different intonations, different instruments. But, you you know, I mean, we have that written in our hearts. And as you were discovering that and finding, hey, this is a great launching pad for me to be able to have mm-hmm. that dialogue with people. Uh, there's another concept in the book. We've got a couple minutes left. And I would love for you to kind of unpack yeah. this for us because it's. It, it sounds clever, but I know there's a lot more to it. You talk about how the theme of convictional kindness is kind of woven throughout, especially the last part of your new book, I'm a Christian, Now What? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so the, the whole idea of, of convictional kindness is, is, is really that um, is really the, 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 the ideal kind of person that we, that we want to seek to be, particularly as we engage with people who don't believe the same things that we do. And so it's um, having, uh, it's developing and holding to, to your convictions as a Christian and holding them firmly, while at the same time um, expressing your convictions with kindness and humility um, in a way that exhibits the fruit of the spirit in you in your life so rather than being um re- rather than being combative um as as we as we can sometimes be tempted to be particularly when we see that see things that are very very wrong going on in the culture or the or on the flip side um being tempted toward capitulation wherein we um, wherein in our desire to go uh, to be liked, we we approve of things that God cannot uh, that right. God says that we cannot approve of. Um, it's it's basically being willing to, in some ways, be um, be kind of hated by everybody um, <laughs> because <laughs> you're not willing to go um, in either direction um, and saying no, this is the truth. And I, and because I love you and I want to, I want to truly engage with you. I want to have a real conversation. So let's really talk Mm. about these things and, and to say, Hey, I'm, I can't convince you by just arguing at you and beating you, beating your head against the wall with, you know, well, this verse says, which is a true thing. So if a, if a, if God's word says something, it is true, right? But you know, um, you know, a, a little a little thing we we like to say at home uh, here is is that uh, that um, those who are convinced against their will are of the same opinion still, and mm. so um, and so basically, it's like what it is 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 it's a desire to win a person mm-hmm. because that's what. And as we engage with the culture, that's what we want to do. We're seeking to win people, not to our opinion, but to Jesus. Amen. And if we're doing that, that's what we're doing. Amen. 
Amen. Well, Aaron, you've got you've given us a great primer for helping reach people at all stages of life, but especially those who have made that confession, that profession of faith. And now the question is, what happens next? Because if they didn't grow up in the church tradition, they're going to have questions and they might feel like they're kind of the odd man or odd woman out in their new church congregation that they find. Aaron Armstrong's book is a huge help for that. It's called I'm a Christian, Now What? A Guide to Your New Life with Christ. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Aaron, great to get to meet you and thank you for writing this book and for spending time with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. I'm glad to have been here. Thanks for the time. Well, this is a helpful resource, and I truly appreciate uh, um, Aaron Armstrong taking the time to write this book, especially for those who might think, and and, and been around this for a, long, a while. I mean, <laughs> been in the church world my whole life, but been in the ministry world for most of my adult life, and I've seen this happen time and time again. Uh, the idea that there's a formula for becoming a Christian and what that formula entails. Aaron uh, takes a running jump at this head on and asks the question, I'm a Christian, now what? In his brand new book with that same title, A Guide to Your New Life with Christ. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we've got a copy of the book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. This is a great resource if you're a pastor or if you're working with people who, as a matter of fact, Eric Geiger, uh, senior pastor at Mariners here in uh, Southern California, is uh, one of the people who endorses this book. It's part of the reason why um, I, I wanted to have Aaron on the program. 800 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. It is interesting when he identifies some of the areas where people who are looking to figure out what their new life in Christ is like. Um, he uh, basically, all the chapter titles are song titles. Uh, what is life? Let me think of that song from uh, was it, uh, George Harrison, uh, Absolute Beginners, David Bowie. Have a talk with God. I remember the, uh, well, Stevie Wonder did it. Uh, I think Van Morrison did it. Should I stay or should I go from the clash? It's a beautiful world. Uh, Modern Love, another Bowie one, Save It for Later from General Public, uh, People Are People. I mean, if you like 80s music, you'll love that, even My Hero from uh, uh, Foo Fighters. Those are the titles that they use in this book. So it's it's kind of a hipster type of guide, but I think you'll find it helpful if you are moving into a new relationship with the Lord, or maybe there's someone in your world that does, and they do so past the age of 18, they're asking a lot of questions. Like, you know, some people would say, I, I hand out these tracks, and the tracks tell you how to become a Christian. Well, I mean, that they may have the basics on there, but if the Holy Spirit moves in your heart and gives you the gift of faith so that you can then respond to the gift of salvation, then it, I don't know what's written in the track that would move you. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I've seen people who've come to faith in Christ at uh, concerts, you know, at, uh, at a, a, might be a, a, a altar call at a church service. But one thing is for sure, once you do become a Christian, and Aaron Armstrong's book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, giving away that copy today at 800-227-5278. Once you do become a Christian, though, you have to ask the question, okay, what does my life look like now? You know, one of the questions people will ask is, do I, um, you know, change my habits when it comes to eating? Do I, I change the way I spend my time? I mean, there, there, certain things might actually change for the better. Like I say, hey, wait a minute, if my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit and I'm out of shape, 
then I need to get in better shape. So I'm going to eat better and exercise and that type of stuff. And that, I think that's a good positive change. Um, there also people are saying, well, look, I'm going to be spending more time with my Christian family and less time uh, engaging in you know, worldly activities. But at the same time, it does, you know, some people ask the question, does it mean I have to vote Republican? You know, get a MAGA hat and do, does it mean I have to sell everything I have and, you know, go serve the poor somewhere? I mean, there are a lot of questions people have. And one of the questions that Aaron wrestles with is, he says, once you become a Christian, one of the things that you do take a look at is how, what kind of media do you consume? And uh, on the other side of this break, I want to get into one big peccadillo with the body of Christ. And that is, what do you do with media companies, especially like Disney? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I know a ton of people who have invested tens of thousands of dollars that God has entrusted to them in Disney. And you have to ask the question, with the worldview that they are proposing, why do we spend so much time with them? Well, let me tell you, I'll give you a latest update on what is happening with the Disney company. And um, we'll use that as kind of a backdrop for launching into this. Why do Christians spend so much time and money? on Disney things. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Don't believe your insurance company is looking out for you. They're not. They want you to call them after you're in an accident, but you shouldn't handle that alone. That's where Stephanie Cover of Cover Law shines. With 20 years of insurance industry experience, she knows all the angles and will fight for your rights. Insurance companies pretend to be your partner, but in reality, their primary goal is to pay you as little as possible. When you work with Cover Law, Stephanie becomes your negotiator, and the insurance companies must talk to her, not you. You need to rest and heal. Stephanie is different from other attorneys. She's fully invested in your legal, medical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. After an accident, you don't want to deal with insurance adjusters who want to minimize your payout. So don't wait. Contact Cape Wright's personal injury attorney today at capewrightradio.com slash coverlaw. You won't pay a dime to talk to someone who truly cares about your healing. My thanks again to Aaron Armstrong for such a great book. Um, I'm a Christian, Now What is the title? And we have a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're giving away this book. It's a guide to your new life with Christ. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, one of the questions that he poses, and we talked a little bit about it in our conversation, is what do you do with what you watch on TV? or the movies you go to. Do you see that R-rated movie? Do you not see that R-rated movie? I mean, when we do Movie Mondays here at The Bottom Line Show, um, we're talking about movies that have a faith component that are uh, made by people in the faith community. And sometimes they wind up getting an R rating because they're really intense or they might use some language. I mean, there's a big discussion in the church community. Do you include harsh language in a film? Do you try to make a film that is a mainstream film that has a Christian uh, narrative, if you will, to it, or do you make a faith-based film that looks and feels a little rough around the edges to try to make it more believable? That's a question people ask and answer. But when it comes to one media choice, Christians just seem to have a collective blind eye to this one, and that is, what do you do with Disney? I mean, let's face it, how many people do you know have annual passes to one of the Disney theme parks? How many people do you know have spent money going to a Disney theme park? Matter of fact, this week, 
Uh, ordinarily, I would be in or, uh, at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention this week. They typically run the conventions either in February or March, and it's usually in Nashville. It hasn't been in Orlando since 2017. And this year, uh, that convention was kind of odd because that was right after the Pulse Nice Club shooting, and we had armed military guards all around the Orlando Convention Center. It was, it was a good convention, but it was a, it was a challenging one. Um, this year, they decided to try something different. They moved the convention to May. It's close to Memorial Day weekend, and they're having it in Orlando. And so some people I know are saying, hey, this is great. Saw the pictures on Instagram and social media over the weekend. Heading to Orlando for NRB and a vacation. Family's coming. It's going to be great. And then there are others who are saying, you know, I, I talked to many guests. Are you going to be at NRB? And I'd say half of them said, yes, we're going. And the other half said, are you kidding? It's Orlando. It's Disney. Why would I want to support them? Now, you could easily make the case and say, I want to go to Florida because I think Ron DeSantis is a great guy. And sure, I want to spend some money there. But in case you haven't noticed or haven't been paying attention, uh, the governor's office and the Walt Disney Company have been at war with each other for the past couple of years. Part of the reason why, not all of it, but part of the reason why is that Ron DeSantis, at least uh, politically speaking, and again, I've not met the guy and I haven't heard a lot of his speeches. I'm just reacting to legislation that he has passed. He has uh, been focusing more on faith and family issues. Uh, last year, about a year and a half ago, it was the Parental Rights and Education Act that the left dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill. And he uh, passed that bill that, I mean, this is the strict restrictions that it put on public schools. Basically, public schools in Florida are not allowed to talk about anything with regarding sex and sexuality, especially the LGBTQ ideologies, in grades kindergarten through third, K1, 2, and 3. From fourth grade on, it's a free-for-all, but you can see how the left just went nuts, and Disney was kind of at the forefront of this. Not that they were leading the charge initially, but a lot of their shareholders were saying, hey, look, Disney's trying to be the woke company, right? And Disney's headquartered, and we've got the uh, Walt Disney World in Florida, and so, oh, by all means, you know, we, we got to go after this guy because he, he's hitting us where we live, you know, and, and a lot of their gay lobbyist friends. And so... Ron DeSantis doubled down and said, and oh, by the way, remember that special deal that Walt Disney worked out with the state of Florida to where they get special provisions for you come build in the central part of the state that's usually uh, reserved for tribe lands and things of that nature. And we'll give you the same treatment they get, which is we'll make you basically a sovereign nation here. If you've been to any state that has any sort of Native American lands, you know that those lands are marked off and they are maintained by the tribe. Uh, police department, firefighters, city council, you know, imposing laws as long as they go along with the laws of the United States. They have their own police force. They have their own fire department. They have, they basically, they have their own city council. Well, Walt Disney wanted to expand and he thought, okay, we'll have Walt Disneyland in Anaheim, Walt Disney World in Florida and all that stuff with Epcot, this, that, and the other thing. They got special dispensation. So Disney has been, if you go to anything around Walt Disney World and Epcot and all that stuff, that was all because of a special decree given to Disney to oversee. When you saw police officers there, they were worked for the Walt Disney Company. City Council, Walt Disney Company, they appoint, They basically ran the city. And Ron DeSantis said, look, you don't need that special treatment. The Walt Disney Company's not hurting for money. Let's go ahead and do this. And so they went ahead and they formed a new commission that is now running it, and it is now part of a county in Florida as opposed to Walt Disney. 
Well, Disney basically was in the process of saying, oh, you don't want to pull the plug on us because here's what we're going to do. We're going to move our Imagineering creative firm that's currently headquartered in Southern California. We're going to move it to Orlando. We're going to build a $1 billion campus on Lake Nona, which is about 20 miles away from Disney World. And we're going to, we're just going to think of what that will do for the industry. We were going to relocate 2,000 employees, most of the Glendale-based Walt Disney Imagineering Company that designs theme park attractions, and, and they made the announcement in 2021. As a matter of fact, hundreds of Disney Imagineers have already relocated to Florida in anticipation of this happening. They made the announcement in 2021, and then Ron DeSantis said, hey, we're going to pull your special stipulation. And, well, so the company that employs, already employs 75,000 people in Florida, that's Walt Disney Company, um, and the tourists that come bring about $17 billion in the next 10 years. Why would they do that? Pull it out. Well, I'll give you a couple of ideas as to why I think this happened. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, We're taking a look at the Disney War versus the state of Florida. Walt Disney Company announced in 2021 they were going to move about, uh, gosh, how many, 2,000 Imagineers out of their Glendale office, Glendale, California. And these are people who make $120,000 a year on average. They were going to do a $1 billion build-out in Lake Nona in an office complex, and uh, it would have brought a couple thousand jobs to the region and maybe another 13,000 over the next 10 years. Um Disney's investment was something like $17 billion back into the community and ticket sales, et cetera, et cetera. And when they announced it in 2021, to be perfectly honest, it wasn't a really popular idea. The people in California didn't want it to happen. Of course, Governor Newsom certainly didn't want it to happen. But that's right around the time that uh, the so-called Don't Say Gay bill became law in uh, Florida. And that's when Disney started barking in public social media about why this was not a good idea. And that's when Ron DeSantis said, well, okay, here's another good idea that's not a good idea. You guys get special uh, status that's usually reserved for Native American tribal lands. 
But Walt Disney was able to work. He's a nice, sweet man on the surface, but he was a pretty shrewd businessman uh, behind the scenes. He was able to negotiate for the Walt Disney Company that same type of protection for all of the lands that make up Walt Disney World and Epcot Center. They basically were their own city. They ran their own city council. They provided their own police and firefighting. They maintained all the roads. And part of the fees that you paid at Disney theme parks went to fund that. So now that Florida said, no, nah, you guys don't need that. That's for Native American tribes, right? That's, that's not for Walt Disney's multi-gazillion dollar organization. So it does mean the state of Florida actually will incur more of the cost. Now you've got county sheriffs and county firefighters and another city council and a special uh, non-elected board of whoever that's going to be uh, handling all of this. So that's when Disney theme park chairman Josh DiArmo, DiAmaro, uh, excuse me, announced in an email to employees, quote, that leadership changes and changing business decisions have prompted Disney now to scrap the plan to move everything from Glendale, their Imagineering department, to Lake Nona. Given the considerable changes that have occurred since the announcement of this project, including new leadership and changing business conditions, we've decided not to move forward with construction of the campus. This was not an easy decision to make, but I believe it's the right one. Now, here's the thing. Bob Chapek, who used to be the CEO of Disney, was the one who made the plans to do this. Disney employees didn't want it to happen. The state of California didn't want it to happen. And quite frankly, it would have been a good boon for the state of Florida. But financially, the tax advantages for Disney moving to Florida, this part of their company, were huge. They are leaving hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. They're leaving lost revenue and tax breaks on the table. Why? Because ideologically, they don't like Ron DeSantis. Simply put, they would rather deal with a tyrant like Gavin Newsom than a free market guy like Ron DeSantis. Brothers and sisters in Christ, not saying you don't have to never go to Disney again, but please consider the source when it comes to how you invest the money to which God has entrusted to you. Every dollar that comes into your household is his. And how you steward it is a reflection of your heart for him. That's the bottom line on that. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, is coming up next. For those who remain on the network, have you been paying attention and seeing what's happening in the House of Representatives to their special hearing on whether or not the FBI has been weaponized against the American people? Got some fascinating audio from those hearings for you. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome back to this Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, or welcome. Uh, we've been hearing from a lot of people who had a winner yesterday in our uh, book giveaway and uh, who mentioned that uh, she's a new listener to The Bottom Line Show and uh, likes to listen in the 40 minutes that she has a commute uh, from wherever it is she's teaching to uh, home in Southern California area. So thank you for calling in, and thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. People who work in education, um, especially in the public teaching world, it's got to be the biggest challenge right now to be a member of a union or uh, to be teaching under the guidance of a union that is so an anti-biblical values and human values, all into the name of and all under the guise of human rights. And I understand that there are a lot of people who are, I think, very um, they're very well-intentioned, in their efforts to try to make sure that uh, kids who are dealing with gender dysphoria and this, that, and the other thing aren't left behind, aren't want run over. The problem is when your motivation is just merely intentions. 
then you know you could have the best intentions for anything. You ever? And, and here's a great example of this. I think. Have you ever sat down to make a budget with your spouse, or you know maybe it's your family? You know, it's all doing a family budget together, and you know how much money you're making, and you know what your expenses are, and you know the things you want to do. You want to you know, go on vacation or put in a pool, or, you know something like that. And then you have to sit down and face the reality of what things cost and how much money is coming in, right? I mean, that's just a, that's it doesn't doesn't make you any good. It doesn't do you any good to sit down with a budget and say, okay, here's the thing. These are my expenses, and so this is about how much income I need. Well, if your job doesn't pay that, then you don't have that income. And you know, I'll be honest with you. I mean, most of us can figure that out, right? If you make a uh, hundred thousand dollars a year. Or, or I'll try to pick a number that divides evenly by 12. You make $72,000 a year, so you have $6,000 a month in income. Then you got to figure out how much comes out in taxes and then what your expenses are, housing, this, that, and the other thing. Then you can figure out how much you can save or how much you can, if you need to get a less expensive car, pay pay cash for a car, you know, Dave Ramsey, uh, whatever you're going to do. At some point, you have to look at this realistically and say, okay, what's really happening? And what am I really having a conversation about? Because it's very easy to say, well, okay, if I need to be earning this much money to live this kind of life, then I'm just going to budget like I'm making that kind of money. And if you're not making that kind of money, then you're not really helping yourself, are you? And now that in the monetary world, in the business world, in reality, you'll know soon enough. I mean, this is where inflation rears its ugly head, right? And here on the Super Tuesday, why don't I talk about it a little bit? Uh, inflation has gone up and keeps going up. And the way inflation is reported on in the media is a lot different than the way inflation actually plays out. The way it's reported on in the media, you get percentage increases or decreases, right? Um, we saw that a great example of this happen uh, when President 44 took over for President 43. President 44 came in and because of a an accounting glitch that every president benefits from, the fiscal year runs October 1st through September 30th, but the president is elected in November and takes office in January. So basically that first year you're in office, if you're a president, you can increase federal spending dramatically from January through the end of September and it all still gets stuck. It's blamed on the guy who came in ahead of you. And we saw that happen with President 44. He came in with a $1 trillion uh, stimulus plan, and, and it was basically just to prop up the federal government employee unions and remember the shovel-ready jobs. And I was waiting for him to say, here comes Sputnik. I mean, it just sounded like it was something right out of the 1950s. But they added a trillion dollars in spending that wasn't in there. And then the very next year, when there was no trillion-dollar increase in spending, the first thing they said was, look, we cut the federal deficit by... By half of half was a five hundred billion dollars or whatever. Well, of course they did, because the year before there was a trillion dollar additional entry that came in, and the next year they only went over budget by three hundred billion or whatever. So look at the savings, seventy percent reduction. See, we're saving America. No, no, <laughs> that's not how that works. But like we're seeing this with inflation right now. You know, inflation is slowing. The economy is cooling off a little bit, and then things are going to start to heat up, and it's slowing, it's slowing, it's slowing. You know, it's dropped. You know, last year it was 9%, this year it's 4%. What they don't tell you is that 4% increase in prices is based on the 9% increase the year before. Prices didn't come down, they just went up, but not as fast. So the, when the, the uh, ill-timed 
uh, Inflation Reduction Act that the president signed in last year, but the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, said this is not going to stop inflation. This is not going to lower prices. The net impact on the economy is absolutely zero. But there are a number of people who will tell you, Joe Biden cut inflation. No, he didn't. He really honestly didn't. So in that yes is no and up and is down and right is left type of world that we live in, let's revisit the case of a young man by the name of David DeLayden. Or as my colleague Bob Duco says in Detroit, David DeLayden. Uh, David DeLayden is the guy who's the founder of the Center for Medical Progress. Now, if you follow this case, because the Center for Medical Progress first made its public debut in uh, July of 2015, David had begun working a couple years before that as a grad student, I believe, at the University of California, Los Angeles. He had teamed up with a woman by the name of Sandra Merritt, who was a former teacher, and Troy Newman, who I believe is still the president of Operation Rescue. And they formed an organization called the Center for Medical Progress. The Center for Medical Progress doesn't do anything. The Center for Medical Progress had a Facebook page, had a website, had a DBA doing business as affiliation. Uh, They had business cards. They had GoPro cameras. And what they did was they would show up at abortion events and present themselves to abortion providers as an organization that, as David Delighton once told me, he said, all we, I asked him, how did you get access to all the video that you did? He said, it was really very simple. It wasn't easy, but it was simple. First, we approached all the top leaders in the abortion industry, National Abortion Federation, Planned Parenthood, you name it, and told them that we passionately support abortion. Number one. Number two, we told them we wanted to help them make money. And one of the little known secrets in the abortion industry until the Center for Medical Progress showed up was the buying and selling of baby body parts. As a matter of fact, if you ask somebody about David Delighton or the Center for Medical Progress, they may not know who you are, but he, David will be the first to tell you. He says, all you have to do is say, hi, I'm David Delighton. I did the videos that prove that Planned Parenthood buys baby parts, that Planned Parenthood sells baby parts. Oh, my goodness. You're the baby body parts guy. Well, he's not the one who's actually doing the crime, but he is the one who went undercover, who interviewed heads of, you know, all these captains of the abortion industry, and then released the videos. Undercover reporting like this has been the hallmark of the journalistic world for decades in this country. This should have been one of those Woodward and Bernstein moments like with Watergate. Oh my goodness, did you know what they're doing? First of all, it is, fortunately, there is federal law that says it is illegal to buy and sell baby body parts. But the abortion industry has discovered that if you're not Planned Parenthood and you don't get $500 million every year in quote-unquote free grants from the federal government, if you're part of the commercial, Planned Parenthood's a nonprofit organization. And because of successful lobbying efforts, they have been able to get themselves established as a federally qualified health clinic. The same as your community health clinic down the street. There are 14,000 community health clinics in the United States. Those are the places where you go in and say, I don't have any insurance or I have basic insurance. And they say, fine, here you go. Are you feeling the flu? Are you pregnant? Are you, you know, do you need surgery? Whatever it is. They, it, it's the, the bare bones, basic, this is the kind of care you can get, but this is the kind of care we provide for everyone. Somehow, through successful lobbying, Planned Parenthood has been able to qualify as a federally qualified health clinic. Planned Parenthood offers ultrasounds for the abortionists, not for the patients. 
They will do pap smears. They will sell you a pregnancy test. They will sell you birth control. And now, but when it comes to like uh, mammograms and things of that nature, Planned Parenthood does not own one single mammogram machine, to my knowledge. If you want to have a mammogram done, go to Planned Parenthood and they will give you a referral, just like a pregnancy resource center will. One of the pro-life clinics that we talk about, like preborn, for example. If you went to a preborn clinic, and you're a woman and says, I, I would like a pregnancy test. I'd like a pap smear. I'd like information on birth control. They're going to answer all those questions for you. But when it comes to the actual mammogram, they will refer you to an OBGYN who can actually do that. Planned Parenthood, same way. And yet, what do they say in all their literature? We're here for women. We have care for women. We offer all, look at these things. I mean, look, breast cancer and cervical cancer and all these cancer screenings that we give. And that's the key word, screening. Because what they'll do, a breast cancer screening, and they'll say, remove your top, do a little self-examination, and say, yep, here's an OBGYN, go get an actual mammogram, and then we'll bill you on the way out. That's what Planned Parenthood does for that. But they have the public convinced that they're like a hospital or something. David Delayden and the Center for Medical Progress blew the lid off of that. By the way, if you are pregnant, if there's someone in your world who's pregnant, and you want an ultrasound that you can actually see, where you can see the pictures, of the baby in the womb. You can see how far along they are in the stages of gestation. You can hear the baby's heartbeat and find out what all of your legal options are because you have three legal options in states where abortion is the law of the land. Number one, congratulations, you're a parent. You're carrying that child, that's your baby. Number two, you can release that child for adoption and preborn will tell you where to find an attorney. They'll put you with an adoption network. They will literally connect you with dozens of families that are saying we would be happy to adopt and they've been screened and qualified. And then the third option, of course, in states where abortion is legal is you can get an abortion. But when you go to preborn, you get all three options. When you go to Planned Parenthood, they give you two options. Option number one is do you want to kill your baby on Friday or do you want to kill your baby on Monday? And, oh yeah, I guess if you want an adoption, well, you can go over there, there's an adoption. What? I'm sorry, I didn't hear well, 382,000 women were convinced to abort their children at Planned Parenthood last year and 1,400 of them chose adoption. So Planned Parenthood doesn't really push the adoption option too much. So David Delighton did America a service, a great service. By the way, you, if you want to support preborn, I highly recommend you do. You can give a $28 gift online every month. You can sign up to do that recurringly. It's $28 for one ultrasound screening. And they've got pictures, images, heartbeat, the whole shot. And then, you know, here are your options. Or you can do... Uh, $140, that saves five babies, five screenings. You could do $280. Uh, you, you could also put some money. We had Mariama from uh, uh, Southern California here a couple weeks ago uh, sent a check to Preborn for $2,000, which we're earmarking toward helping to get another ultrasound machine installed in a Preborn clinic right here in the Southland. 833 um, baby is the number to call to sponsor a, a, an ultrasound screening through preborn, whether it's $28 for a one-time gift, $280, $2,800 for a one-time gift, or you want to set up that recurring thing, Lisa and I do $56 a month for two ultrasound screenings, 56 bucks a month. You spent that much on dinner last night. I know you did. <laughs> 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229. Or go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. You'll find a preborn banner there. Click onto it. And in basically, if you've got autofill for your payment information, in 28 seconds or less, you can save a child's life with preborn. 
Well, David DeLayden and his attorneys have asked uh, the United States Supreme Court for a favor. And I'm going to tell you what that favor is on the other side of this break and why I think they should do this. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, a little long-winded in segment number one. Uh, but I'm telling you, when it comes to the sanctity of human life and our friends at Preborn, I highly recommend that you... Get some skin in the game here, brothers and sisters. I mean, just because Roe versus Wade overturned in June of last year, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the end of Roe versus Wade. All that has done is energize the left to where now they're passing more abortion laws. They are enshrining them in state constitutions in states like California, Colorado, Connecticut. Um, if we've gone through all the sea states, but New York. I mean, the left-leaning states are all basically trying to say that abortion is a constitutional right. So apparently, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness doesn't count for babies that parents don't want, right? I mean, because in the womb, they don't think that a baby's a human being until mom says so. Pregnancy is an inconvenience. Get an abortion. Get rid of this. Pregnancy is what I wanted. Oh, look at my little miracle. Look at little Penelope. Or the... Come on. It can't just be human when you want the baby to live. Uh, preborn shows the ultrasound. You cannot find an abortion clinic anywhere in America where you walk in and say, I'd like to have an ultrasound done because I'm thinking about having an abortion. What they'll tell you is, oh, you don't want to see the ultrasound. It's too traumatic. It's too traumatic because you see the face, you see the nose, you see the eyes, you see the ears, you see that little bugger in the screen and go, that's my kid. That's why they don't want you to see. That's why preborn wants you to see. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. Uh, give a gift of $28 to provide one ultrasound for a mom who needs to see it. 833-850-2229 or go to kbrightradio.com. $28 for one screening, $140 for five. Or if you are so led, a $15,000 donation will provide um, an ultrasound machine. And they could do 250 um, ultrasounds every year for a minimum of 10 years. When you amortize that cost, it's what, like five bucks per. It's, it's such a great deal, and it's all tax deductible. David Delighton knows that when you tell the truth, it should set you free. He and his team at the Center for Medical Progress literally published video that he took at National Abortion Federation trade shows, uh, in public open-air meetings with members of Planned Parenthood. And when he released the videos on YouTube, it just people went nuts and saying, 
can't believe that they're actually admitting to this. This is crazy. They were deposed under oath and admitted everything that they said on these videos was true. But the angle that the left is using is that the National Abortion Federation sued David Daleiden in 2015. They asked the California District Court to keep the videos from being released. The reason that they did was not that they disagreed with what he said, but they tried to make it sound like they had no idea. Now, this is the National Abortion Federation case. Uh, David and his team, his team is him and Sandra Merritt, had 500 hours of recordings at NAF conferences. And yet, for some reason, the National Abortion Federation says, uh, you can't release that because privacy. According to Peter Breen of the Thomas More Society, he's the executive vice president and head of litigation, former alderman in the uh, People's Republic of Illinois, he said, look, these are not private videos. These are videos that were taken at an 800-person abortion trade show. David Daleiden was invited to attend along with the 800 other people who were there. People were taking video all over the place. It's not like there was some clandestine thing going on here. I mean, qu quite frankly... This is what, he's an undercover journalist. It's a contentious issue to be sure, but rest assured, if David Daleiden had been taking video for leftist organizations trying to expose Donald Trump or Steve Bannon or something like that, he'd be hailed a hero. But instead, he's facing $6 million in fines, attorney's fees, court costs, and possibly jail time too. The guy has been fighting for his freedom for the past five, six, seven years. And I'm putting this article up at thebottomlineshow.com because I'm asking for prayer for David and his team. And the reason is prayer is that if this case, which has been ruled against him in the lower courts, gets a hearing with the United States Supreme Court, it is conceivable that the Supreme Court is going to rule on the fact that what David Daleiden did is not a violation of the First Amendment. Quite frankly, it's proper use of the First Amendment. Now, the question is, at the trade show, you know, did he hide the camera? You know, did well, hidden camera journalism, you want to talk about case precedent? I mean, for crying out loud, how many investigative reporters have had the hidden camera, hidden microphone? Sometimes it's the, uh, you know, the uh, reporter on the street, you know, we're following here from Action 9 News, and you know, that, that that's pretty well documented. When you come on the bottom line show, when we do call-ins and people come in and, you know, go on the air and this, that, and the other thing, there's an implied consent that's explained to every listener, I believe, that says, look, here's the deal. You're giving us permission to use you on the air. Now, when it comes to rebroadcasting it, we're a lot more cautious with that. But the name of the game is, you know, public broadcast waves. When you call in, the implication is that you're saying it's okay to use my voice on the radio. That's why you called in. And some people will call in and say, hey, I don't want to go on the air, but I have a question. That's fine too. What David Delighton did was no different than what countless other undercover journalists have done for centuries, well, centuries, for decades at least. And now his legal team is asking the Supreme Court to hear the case against him and overturn the judgment against him. In other words, that the lower court got the First Amendment part of this wrong. And I agree. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And I'll tell you why I agree with an example of the other side of the equation coming up next as the bottom line continues. 
you can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The left did what we thought they could do. They did a much better job of it than they thought we could do once Roe versus Wade was overturned. When Roe versus Wade was overturned last year, they basically started the rallying cry saying, hey, look out, women, your constitutional rights are at risk. This was guaranteed in the Constitution, enshrined by the founders and the framers, that you could kill a child in the womb. And now, if the court is going to overturn this, that means that's the end of your freedom, because that's the end of your democracy, and you better vote. And a whole slew of college-educated white women believed that lie, because that's who the overwhelming majority of people who supported all the leftist candidates quieted the red wave, I mean, and that's statistical. That's not anecdotal. So in the case of David Daleiden now saying, hey, wait a minute, if Roe versus Wade has been overturned and I went, whether I had, you know, hidden cameras or not, people were recording things all over the place at the National Abortion Federation Convention. There were over 800 people there. I was invited to go there because I made the pitch to the National Abortion Federation that said, hey, look, I support abortion and I want to help you make money. And what he wanted to help them make money was, is they were going to position themselves as another so-called middleman who handled the buying and selling of baby body parts. So that you saw the videos, right? No one actually paid money. I'm going to buy a spleen. What they did is they had transfer fees. They had removal fees. They had transportation fees. You know, all of a sudden a wire transfer costs a thousand dollars. Why would you charge that much for a wire transfer that should cost 1995? I mean, the overcharging and paperwork, they thought they were burying their money. They couldn't do it. David exposed them. But here, here's what I would say is fair game. Ask people on the left. National Religious Broadcasters Convention going on right now. The first year in 20 that I haven't been there. Uh, some family issues are up and going on in the Marsh world. And so it makes more sense for me to be in California than in Orlando right now. You know there's a reporter walking around NRB with a hidden camera and a hidden microphone, maybe under the guise of doing interviews, trying to catch some famous ministry person saying something they shouldn't say. Now, if you apply for press credentials, David Delighton had press credentials, and you're invited to go to a convention like NRB, David was invited to go to the National Abortion Federation thing, and they know that this is what you do, why would they have a problem with it? You know there's some fire-breathing leftist organization at NRB right now, and they're trying to blow the lid off some scandal involving take your pick. Well, that's fair game, and everybody knows you. <laughs> there are trusted people. I love doing interviews at NRB because uh, the people I'm talking with feel safe and 
talking with me, I've had many people say that. That's one of the reasons they like being on the bottom line is is we, we, we take a very high level of respect for the work that they're doing and the work that God has called them to do. But in the case of David Daleiden right here, all David did was tell the truth about what's happening in the abortion industry, and now he's faced with millions of dollars in fines, attorney's fees, and possible jail time. Lord, we lift this issue before you today. We know that the issue of helping people to see the truth of the reality about abortion is a tough industry. Uh, and yet we know that there are men and women, men like David Daleiden, who uh, were called to literally just shine the light. Your word says in John 3, when the light is shown on people's evil deeds, people will choose darkness instead of having their evil deeds exposed. And yet for those of us who are born again and believe that the blood of Jesus Christ pays the penalty for our sin and wipes it clean, we welcome the light. We welcome that, uh, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Should be the prayer of the heart of every believer. In this case, Father, we pray that David's case gets a, a, a hearing uh, in, on the Supreme Court level. But we know, Father, too, that ultimately his actions, his words, his obedience to you uh, has shown us a whole different side of the evil that is in the world. We know that we're not going to eliminate evil short of the return of Jesus, but it's our job to stand up to it and to stand up for truth. And so we lift up our brother David and his legal team and we pray that uh, there would be a fair court hearing, if it be your will. And if not, help him to after, Ephesians 6 says, after he's withstood the fiery arrows from the enemy to still be standing for you. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Don't forget, you can put your money where your mouth is when it comes to your support of the sanctity of human life. I encourage you to make a donation to Preborn right now. Uh, we still have a goal of reaching $15,000 more by Father's Day for a donation either for sponsorship of ultrasound uh, visits or getting a brand new ultrasound machine into a preborn clinic. Go to kbrightradio.com, click on the preborn banner today. Uh, God cared for you when he first thought you up. Your life is valuable. All human life is valuable. Everything that God created, he said, is good. That is good news. And that's the bottom line.